0: The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptismokopani.com. Romans chapter 12 from verse 10 onwards is where we find ourselves. Hopefully you would have had an opportunity to just look at the first part during the week, uh, to look at evidence one, See, this is a a a short mini-series just to look at the evidences of a faithful believer. You see, we've dealt with Mark's gospel. We've looked at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the example that he left us, the commands that he had given us. The question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And um, we're going to deal with that in a majority In first John but as we make our way to first John I want us to stop in Romans chapter 12 and look at these verses how they encourage us to live as faithful believers in our home in in the world and society around us but more specifically in the church so let's give thanks for this word this morning and then I'll read for us and we'll dive right in Lord Jesus we are just so thankful and I pray for the situations or the occasions where we aren't thankful for this authoritative clear word that speaks so much life and instruction that leads us in the way that we ought to go. I pray that you would forgive us when our hearts are hardened, when we are corrected by this word of grace. And I pray that as we come to our section this morning, Lord Jesus, as hard as it may seem for us to hear these realities, let us also anticipate the grace that is in them. I pray for our church this morning, and I'm thankful that we are gathered here in your name, in your presence. I pray for our families who couldn't make it this day, and I pray that, Lord, truly you would still minister to them. You'd minister to them as they watch this or listen to this later on, but also minister to them as in every waking moment of our lives, we are to be worshiping you, loving you with our entire being. So as we do that, be gracious to us this morning in your name, amen. Amen. Friends, welcome. And so I want us to look at Romans chapter 12 from verse 10 through 12 dealing with evidence number two, evidence number two, and we can kind of just title the theme, fulfilling practical duties within the Christian family, fulfilling practical duties within the Christian family. Last week, we um, dealt with some of the other evidences of a faithful believer, and I'll read the text for us in a moment, but I want to come back to the analogy of last week. The circle analogy. I expressed last week that we want revival. We desire revival. We talk about revival. But none of us know what revival looks like. We look at the history books and and, and we see the testimony of what happens when a revival started or has happened. But friends, revival starts with me. Revival starts with you. It starts with this intimate circle of my heart and my relationship with Christ. So in verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says to the church, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. You do that. That is your duty. That is a personal duty. You ought to be truly loving. There's no space for a hypocritical, fake love. And I can tell you something, friends, (laughs) with what COVID has brought along, our own hearts, what our own hearts have revealed, people are tired of a fake gesture of love. People want to experience the real thing, and so we as believers need to truly love. Paul says, abhor what is evil, hate, detest, run away from everything that is evil. Last week we learned that it is to not even entertain the idea or the temptation that will lead to evil, to flee. Finally, hold fast to what is good. Cling to that which is good. Our Savior is good his promises are good his word is good it's true and so we cling to him and those truths so we started by looking at these three personal duties that a faithful believer will fulfill but the circle needs to widen all right I'm here to literally burst your bubble right it has to get bigger So the circle has to increase and we need to embrace the Christian family, and as we do that this morning, our text will reveal four practical duties of a faithful believer that reaches the needs of the church family. Four practical duties of a faithful believer that reaches the needs of our church family. Let's look at it here in Romans, verse 10. Paul continues. He says, "Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal; be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer." Just all there. I want us to just dive right into this. And Paul says, "Firstly, love one another. Love one another." The Greek here is a combination of two words, both meaning love, but it can be translated as follows, be lovingly loving. Be lovingly loving. Love in such a way that that you are lovable, alright? Love in such a way that you are lovable, that's how we could put it. It's a warm, affectionate love. It's a natural family love. Now, sadly, I do know that not many of us have experienced a natural family love. But this kind of love, as, as I try and just convey the understanding and the meaning of this, this is not a love that is induced by desire. It's not awakened by beauty or attractive personality is a natural love that occurs within a family even in a dysfunctional household there's this natural love within a family that when siblings would literally have each other at the throat no one from the outside can butt in what is your dealing with our relatives right i grew up this way i mean i have two older sisters No one dares step in because I'm their little brother. Only they are allowed to do this. It's a natural family love. So it's not stirred by attraction. It's not stirred by personality, by lust or desire. It's not even conjured up by circumstances. It is a simple, normal family love. And so as the circle expands from personal duties to some of the practical duties, Paul tells us that we ought to have this family love. That we, if we are truly believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then loving our brothers and sisters is something that should come natural. I'm sure that you've experienced this type of love maybe when you first came to CBC. CBC. You were just drawn in by the people in such a way you felt welcome and you returned and you are still here by God's grace this day. If you travel, I used to travel a lot in my early days in ministry, it sounds so long ago, really it isn't. I used to travel a lot to preach at various locations and it would be so natural to come into a church where I've never been before welcomed and, and feel as if I'm part of the furniture that is a natural family love I pray that you get that sense every time you walk through those doors every time we fellowship on the occasion you experience this kind of natural love within believers C.S. Lewis put it this way in one of his books he written. written um, I'm just trying to recall the exact wording but I'll paraphrase Um, when C.S. Lewis is talking about believers meeting another believer and finding out that this person is saved the the reaction is wait what you too you as well another one as if I'm not the only one that's the kind of excitement it should stir in us when we meet other believers Friday night I shared the analogy, when you encounter another believer, it's not a thing of do you believe the Baptist confession? Uh, Do you hold to this type of baptism or this type of baptism? Do you hold to the Westminster confession? And we want to get interested with all these little nitty gritties, we forget to actually love the other person. Paul says, love one another brotherly affection don't be drawn by someone because of some personality or because they believe certain doctrines in the specific way that you do it doesn't say that he says love one another with brotherly affection it's an affectionate um, kind of love that can be distributed um, what's the word not demonstrated but displayed in providing for care for those around us. Friends, I could say that this is to be an instinct of the believer coming to 1 John 5. Make a note there, 1 John 5, verse one and two. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. And we certainly don't act that way, do we? He continues, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. It's not the other way around. He's not saying when we, when we express love towards one another, that's it and that's okay. First John tells us, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love and obey God's commandments. So when you don't love your fellow brother or sister, friends, you are committing a grievous sin. And what is that? What is the second greatest commandment? What is the second greatest commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, wait, what does Jesus say? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and strength and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. wow Lord help me as I obey your commandments in loving my fellow brothers and sisters friends that's what it means that it's a natural love within the Christian family 1 John also tells us we cannot say we love God doesn't work that way. We can't pick and choose who we want to love within the Christian family. More than just being a natural type of love, it's also an area where we have to grow. Are you following me? So there's grace here. You think to yourself that, man, I really struggle to love so and so. It's an area where we continually grow. So there's grace. Um, first Thessalonians 4 verse 9 through 10 it says the following now concerning brotherly love you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another now that is true all right because we experience the love of God therefore we can love those around us but it continues for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia but we urge you brothers Do this more and more. Wait a minute. Paul is commending the church in Thessalonica for a job well done in loving those around him, in loving the church in such a a way that it extends even to Macedonia. And people are talking about it. Paul knows about it. So instead of saying, hey guys, that is great, well done. Paul encourages them and says, we urge you, do this more and more. In other words, keep growing, keep loving. Amazing, isn't it? So according to Paul here, or God's word, you are taught by God to love in this way. But Paul says that we need to do this more and more so we cannot think that we've loved each other enough that we've come to the point that all right i've done the following for our church i've shown my love for the church this is where i can draw the line this is where i say i'm able to do this and no more paul says do this more and more (laughs) the line that you drew in the dust or in the sand You know, just scratch that out. Keep on loving one another. But there's a second duty duty here in verse 10, which challenges us kind of to the next step. I could say love is the general environment, but without it, the next duty will never happen. And that says as follows. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. The text could literally say, as far as honor is concerned, let each one esteem the other more highly. As far as honor is concerned, let each one esteem the other more highly. So there's no pushing for first place, there shouldn't be any waiting around to be served. This time you should go back to verse 9. And what did Paul say? He said, Love, our love cannot be hypocritical. I say this because we might be tempted to outdo one another by putting on a display of good works, but in our hearts it means nothing. And so we want to be rewarded for our humility when in fact it means nothing. There is no love in our service. It's not humility. Humility is to genuinely take a step back and to serve those around you. To put others first, to put others above yourself and your own interests and needs now how does this look? Philippians 2 It says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others How do you outdo one another in showing honor by doing nothing from selfish ambition don't serve someone because you expect to get something out of it. Friends, in our service to one another, I am sure that we are or will be reaping rewards in heaven. You know, Steve Lawson said on Friday in our Bible study, well, when we get there, we'll just give that back. No, no, no. You deserve all the honor. You deserve all the praise. You deserve all the glory. So, if we aren't serving the Lord now in that way, imagine how foreign it would be for us in heaven. Oh, what do I do with this? Friends, we cannot think that way. We must prefer others, which actually goes before. It's to lead the way in going before others. It's to lead the way in preferring others' needs above yourselves. So we shouldn't wait till someone else shows honor to whom honor is due or love to whom love is due and say, oh, yes, that's right. I need to do this as a believer. Paul says, you do that. You do that with the Christian family. Be the first to serve. Be the first to esteem those around you. Don't wait for someone else to do that. In fact, we could put it this way. It means to be quick to give honor. Or to be quick to love. Or to be quick to meet a need of someone. My friends, isn't that humbling? Think of it. It's very humbling to be quick to love someone else, to be quick to stop what you are doing right now so that you can serve someone else. That is my flesh being suppressed. And there's a war going on in my heart because I want to fulfill my own ambition, my own desires. God's word says to be quick to serve those around us. So that's the mark of a believer We lead the way, bringing honor to others in meeting their needs. So two things we've looked at thus far. To love one another and outdo one another in showing honor. There's a third point in verse 11. I've titled it here, Serve the Lord. Now it reads as follows. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, serve the Lord. The King's James, King James Version says, um, be not slothful in business, all right? And I, I wanna come back to this word, be slothful, be not slothful in business. But it tells us not to be lazy in zeal. Now the word business isn't the correct translation, It literally means to hurry or make haste. But I want us to refer to the KJV because I like the idea that it creates. We should be quick about the Lord's business. We should be quick about the Lord's business. Be not slothful about the Lord's business. I can appreciate that. To put it another way, Galatians 6 verse 9 Galatians 6 verse 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So this tells us the opposite. This tells us that there has to be this intensity about serving one another. We should be on fire for serving one another. Not slow, not slothful, not lacking in our service. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews um, chapter 6 tells us, be not slothful. And there's a sad reality, is we can fall on the other side of the scale. When we do so much, we literally wear out. We burn out because of this fear. I don't want to be slothful. And so we just keep driving like, like coal engines, eventually burning out. I say that because I want to make the comment. Paul says, or we can interpret this to say, not to be slothful to wear ourselves out in serving. Now there's a difference between wearing ourselves out and burning ourselves out. To wear ourselves out. Now the sad reality is, that is not the South African way. When it comes to business in our beloved country, you can go to any retail store, I tell you, man, there is in almost every occasion, never anyone quick to help in whatsoever way. We just, we don't have that. And that's kind of become the norm throughout our country, where you go to any business, and I'm, I'm, I mean I'm there for business. I've, I've told someone in the past, listen, I have money, and you need money, and I give you money, but you need to do this thing, and it's not happening. So I'm taking money to someone else that wants money, and they're doing their thing. So the sad reality is, life around us, and that's the temptation life around us is so slothful. We went to game the other day, asked for help, and we thought help disappeared. I mean, just nothing is happening. Friends, let that be a warning for us. As believers, it will corrupt your testimony when you are slothful about the Lord's business. Let this motivate us to be faithful in loving our Lord and serving His church. So friends, I want to continue and say that this refers to your role in church, at home, the workplace. Wherever you are, do not be slothful. I want to encourage you by saying, it might even feel as if you are in routine, that every day you're doing the same thing, and, and you have to do it, right, that's, that's your work, and so it might become so dull, I, I do this every day, tomorrow the same thing, I, I did this yesterday, I have to do it today, I have to do it tomorrow, so the, te- the temptation is What? to become slothful, to become slothful. Friends, I wanna challenge you that in the ordinary moments of your daily routine, serve the Lord with zeal. Serve the Lord with zeal. Paul puts it this way, he says, be fervent in spirit. The word vervent means to boil with heat. And what it says is, be a boiling point believer. Be on fire in your service. Your service, Friends, the Christian life is, is, is to be filled with enthusiasm, with passion, with joy. But you know, the occasion comes where we are droopy and we don't feel like it. Don't feel like worship, don't feel like being here, be fervent in spirit. Continue with the task at hand in, in faithfully serving your savior. When I read this verse, I always think of Robert Murray McShane, who was a, he was a Scottish minister in the 19th century. And friends, here's the sad reality. He, he was on the other side of the scale. Robert Murray McShane worked so hard in his study. He worked so hard in ministering to the church that his health gave in. In fact, just before dying at the age of 29, I mean, that's me a couple of months ago, just before dying at the age of 29, he wrote, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I have killed the horse and now I cannot deliver the message. Friends, we have to be balanced, we have to be balanced. Perhaps McShane was too far on the other side of the scale, but this is what we can say about McShane, he was never slothful. The week before his death, he still preached faithfully on Sunday. On the Tuesday, he had done a wedding, and after the wedding was concluded, he still went to fulfill the regular Tuesday children's ministry. But at that point, he was already so ill. You know what stopped him from serving the Lord? His deathbed. A week in bed, and he was with the Savior. Friends, I'm not saying this to kill trip you, to literally go from this place and wear the soles out of your feet and, and, and work your finger to the bone because of the fear that you won't be faithfully serving the Lord. Paul says, serve the Lord. And we are called to serve the Lord and to serve Him with haste. Just, In other words, to serve Him in a hurry, to be in a hurry to serve Him, to serve Him with zeal or passion, serving Him with a vervent spirit. Be faithful, friends. You know, when when your quiet time becomes so dull because of routine, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Listen, you can talk to various ministers in the ministry. There are times in the week where we have to glue ourselves to the seat. And we are stuck to that seat to study the Word To many, it seems boring. You just sit there. Friends, we have the opportunity to study the glorious Christ. And there will be times where there are texts that are difficult. But we sit there until the study is done. So where you are, no matter what it is, faithful, serving the Lord, and getting the things done. Get your things done at school. Get your things done in the workplace. Fulfill your home responsibilities. Don't play around with extending certain dates. Imagine, I I notify you this morning, can we please gather Tuesday morning? My sermon is in So let us be faithful in our service. Because going to the other end of the scale scale and overdoing things also will not glorify God. It brings us to a final point this morning, and that is to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So Paul gives us three final encouragements. He says, remain faithful. As an individual but also to the christian family and paul starts with hope what is hope if i asked who is hope you could maybe point me to a relative but i'm asking what is hope and perhaps we can say it is the mark of christians and therefore we rejoice in hope we rejoice in what hope guarantees romans 8 verse 23 verse 24 it gives us some clarity it says we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved, or we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul says, rejoice Doesn't mean to go around as a Christian with a smile. It doesn't say that. Because that's not joy. Anyone can fake a smile. In fact, the early church often had very little to be joyful about. Facing persecution after persecution after persecution. And still they rejoiced always. So I want to clarify the definition. Hope itself is not the object of your joy. But it leads us to rejoicing. The object of our joy is who we hope in. Who. Friends, it is Christ. Christ is our possession of joy. Outside of Christ, we cannot know true joy. He is our joy. So our hope, therefore, is in the Lord. Our hope is in His return. And in our faithful service to Him, our hope is that we will hear our beloved Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Is this your hope? Friends, In who or what do you hope? Who or what are you waiting for? Paul lists a second, and indeed it's necessary that he lists it second, because he says, be patient in tribulation. It follows the beautiful reality that we rejoice in hope. We know our hope is steadfast in Christ and his return, in the promise that he will make all things new. Paul reminds us be patient in tribulation. But he's not saying wait around for this to pass, because that's an expression a lot of us might have. Yep, this will pass. It's terrible what's happening to me, but it'll go. That's an attitude of someone that that is not rejoicing in hope. Therefore, Paul's not saying wait around and passively put up with the, the way things are. Paul says to actively endure tribulation. In fact, this is what happens when we endure tribulation. And it could be trials, it could be circumstances at home, it could be a hostile environment at work, Romans 5 verse 3 to 5, Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen and amen. Friends, that is how you come to boiling point. It is the truth that God has given you himself. That as the Spirit indwells us, we are able to faithfully serve. Peter reminds us that that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. My brother and sister, there is no excuse for us to sit back And be slothful about the Lord's business and say, But I am uncomfortable, or it is hard, or I am overwhelmed. In the good times and in the bad times, Paul reminds us of a third element here, a third encouragement. And he says, Be constant. Constant in prayer Paul wrote them in this order for a specific reason Paul doesn't dismiss his sufferings we see the example in Paul's life that he endured troubles and trials but Paul now says how we do that he says be constant in prayer so friends we have to learn that not only when it goes well with you do you have communion with God, or not only when you experience times of trial do you have communion with God. Communion with God is a permanent, ongoing, active, two-way relationship. But sadly, we only, many of us, only start to pray once we're already knee-deep. I ask you, how do you bow the knee once you're knee-deep? It's difficult. That's why many of us struggle to just come back into a routine of prayer. But I tell you, persist, continue, remain constant by praying. There's a story of two orphans. They were in a country where they were experiencing a war. But they were praying to get out of this situation. And I tell you, friends, they prayed with such fervency. Eventually, they fled to a neighboring country, thinking they've made it to the good guys, right? But they entered hostile territory. And they encountered Muslims. So these kids didn't make it. They were killed for their Christian faith because they had a testimony they couldn't hide. Their callous knees, friends. These kids were praying so fervently that their knees started to form clear, visible calluses. Once they entered Muslim territory, the Muslims said, You are Christians because you pray. What a testimony. What a testimony. That that your livelihood speaks of the relationship you share with God. Our faithful faithfulness in prayer is twofold. Firstly, it refers to our consistency, how often we pray. How's it going, folks? How, how, how consistent are you to pray? There's a second reality in our faithfulness to prayer and that is the effort that is needed to maintain this habit. Be constant and make the effort. Be constant and make the effort. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Friends, be persistent in prayer. It's a necessary part of our walk. So I want to draw the line here. Because we've learned quite a lot today. So I want to recap in summary. We learned that, we learned what it means to love one another faithfully. We've looked at what it means to outdo one another in service and that in the service we cannot hold back that the service is to be at boiling point for those around us it's by serving with the hope of better things that we remain faithful the hope that our work will one day end and our suffering will one day end and that's the way to live the Christian life That is how we, as believers within a Christian family, encourage one another, care for one another, and serve one another. Friends, let this testimony speak volumes about ourselves. Let us not wait around for someone next to us to pray when there's a prayer opportunity. Don't wait for someone else to share the testimony. Share your testimony. Don't wait for someone else to evangelize. You go and evangelize. Can I pray for us? Can you pray for us? And then Chris will share with us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you for just your grace. I pray that as we take this word home, that you would help us just to be mindful and let us be active. in in just applying these realities to our own lives. So we give thanks in your name.